This podcast is intended for mature audiences. Listener discretion is advised. We understand that some of our opinions will not be shared with many people and hope you can still bear with us in order to hear amazing Wisconsin-based stories. We are not licensed therapists or able to give legal advice by any means. Our show notes will provide all of our source materials included for each episode. Now Now on on to to the the show. of Wisconsin. I'm Fallon and I'm here with Mims. How are you? I'm doing great. Everybody that is listening, I hope that you're also on YouTube because then you can see my awesome shirt. Look at this. Serial killer documentaries and chill because that's the vibe. That is what we like to do. (laughs) How are you? I'm doing well. Well, let's just jump into it. (laughs) Do it. What do you have for us today? I feel like you're going to do like something super traumatic because you were nice last week. Um, it's not great. It's sad. (laughs) It's it's not like the worst I've done. So just like no bone crushing. No bone crushing. I would give this a medium level. Okay, I can do a medium. Okay. <laughs> so we are sticking to Wood County. Ooh. Um, there is an infinite amount of cases, so it's hard not to stay in this area. Yeah. But this is the case of Deidre Week, and I just did another case on a Deidre, um, I think it was last week or the week before. So mm-hmm. it's crazy because the same name, same county, different cases, obviously. What so is this gonna I, be? I have some ideas of where this one might go. Okay. Um, yeah, I feel like I can't get anything past you with the Wood County because you're like all over that. So. <laughs> um, I got my sources from NBC News, Dateline episode, Who Killed Deidre Week, and change.org and justice for Deidre Week. So, nestled in the small, quiet town of Vesper, Wisconsin, there is a hobby farm that the Week family occupied. And it's W-E-E-K, as in week, weekday, that's, that's the week. Um, they described, they described as a kid's dream place to grow up, um, this little hobby farm, especially for their 11-year-old daughter, Deidre Week. Deidre loved animals, caring for them, playing with them, and it wasn't just domestic animals. She loved pigs. She loved chickens. 
She loved dogs and her pony named Cheyenne. She just loved anything that was, you know, animal, people. She was just all love. So her mother, Brenda Week, remembers Deidre uh, dressing up their 18-year-old family cat, Mortimer, which I love, <laughs> um, in a bonnet and a dress, struggling to keep him in swaddled like a baby. So just, you know, just a little maternal child being super cute. Um, so this 11-year-old rock star did it all. She cared for her animals. She took dance lessons. She took piano lessons and she played softball. Um, she was just really all over the place and was just such a great kid. Her mother stated she was always a busy girl. Um, from the time she got off the bus after school, she wanted to know what we were going to do for the day, like fishing or riding bikes or her pony or going on a hike. She always had something to do, end quote. Like, is that my kid? Because, like, that's the type of energy I have. Right? Like, just go, 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 go. Yeah. So Brenda Week remembers giving birth to her second son uh, as Deidre, Deidre turned 10. Deidre claimed the baby as her own for her birthday and took on the role of her brother's mother every chance that she got. So she just babied that little baby. And she was That's just so 10 cute. years old. I know. Like this little oh God, girl. Thanks for giving me a baby for my birthday. Yeah, she's like, <laughs> this is my baby. <laughs> um, so this is where it takes a turn. On March 24th, 1995, it was a warm day in spring, and Deidre had been at an after-school 4-H meeting where they were having a play practice for an upcoming performance. She then wrapped up and rode her bike into town. Um, but before she headed home, she stopped at Winch's Mini Mart to buy treats for herself and her brother. Seriously, Aww. my heart just breaks with this story. Each each article that I read, I was just like, please don't, please don't. Um, so she got back on her bike and began pedaling the short half mile home on County Highway HH. Her parents awaited her arrival and waited and waited, and but she never came home. Um, according to Wood County Sheriff's Office incident reports, Deidre was on her bike when she was struck by a vehicle at approximately 6.30 p.m. What broke my heart about this was she was only a few minutes away from home, like two minutes tops. Yeah. But what was even worse was that her dad, David Week, was at home at the time waiting for her daughter, for his daughter to come home. And he heard a really big, awful crash. And in the pit of his stomach, he knew that something was wrong. And he basically got up, ran out into the road and seen what had happened. He literally heard his baby girl get hit by a goddamn car. And he, 
So one of the first people on the scene was David that found her body in the ditch with her bike laying nearby. There was no sign of the driver or the vehicle that hit her. Deidre was rushed to Ministry St. Joseph's Hospital in Marshfield, and there she had lost her life at the age of 11. So according to Wood County Incident Reports, a witness told authorities that he was driving southbound on County Road HH toward Vesper when he saw a vehicle strike Deidre on her bicycle. He added that the occupants of the vehicle were driving a maroon or burgundy mid-sized car, possibly a Chevrolet Celebrity. And if you don't know what a Chevrolet um, Celebrity is, it was literally the car of like 1990s. It was so common back then that when I saw it, I'm like, oh yeah, that ugly thing. Um, (laughs) It's just so, it was, and you know, you can't really... When I looked at it, I'm like, I've seen that car all over, but I couldn't tell you what kind of car that was. Right. Um, So the witness told authorities later that he then turned around and began pursuing the vehicle when he was not able to catch up or get close enough to see a license plate number. um, The witness went home and called 911 before returning to the scene. Other neighbors who saw the striking car were reported it as generally being the same color, um, silver, light gray, and that it was a Dodge Omni. Deidre's family mourned the loss of their daughter, and of course they expected an arrest in the case, and they hoped that it would be done quickly. Mm -hmm. Um, Days turned into weeks, which turned into months, and then it turned into years, and no arrests were made. Uh, the family stated that the case had thousands of pages of witness statements and reports detailing the investigation, and it just showed inconsistencies and mistakes. Stories didn't match up, alibis didn't add up, and people who should have been immediately questioned were not. Hmm. I'm shocked. <laughs> Deidre's parents believe that they know who was behind the wheel of the vehicle that hit their daughter, but that there wasn't enough done years ago to make an arrest. So basically, because of shoddy police work, this case has gone unsolved. There is an underlying theory that has been lurking around this Vesper community, So I'm going to go into that. Nothing is concrete. I'm just going to preface that. Nobody is stating names. um, So don't come at me for anything. This is just a theory. Mm -hmm. The eyewitness to hit the car or hit and run who chased the person and went back home. Apparently, when he went back home, he switched cars before he went back to help, which is a little bit strange. The eyewitness's brother left a nearby tavern at approximately 6.15 to 6.30. This would have placed him within minutes away from the scene. However, he was not interviewed until over three hours later. And if you are leaving a tavern, obviously, if you hit something and you may have been drunk at that time, 
like the likelihood of you sticking around is probably minimal. So right. just to avoid, you know, seeing what you hit, getting caught, getting uh, OWI, you know, it just, but the yeah. fact that, okay, whatever, <laughs> I'm not going to get into it. Um, additionally, the car in which he was a passenger of a silver grand am was driven to Custer, Wisconsin. The gentleman who lived in Custer and who by report purchased the grand am earlier in the day from the brothers was not interviewed until much, much later. Both parties gave uh, contradicting statements as to their activities that late that afternoon and evening, yet investigators did not realize or worse chose to overlook that they did not have um, statements that aligned with each other. Hmm. Um, during the time when Deidre's family briefly left the scene to summon help and after the arrival of rescue personnel, Deidre's bike was removed. Uh, this is strange, right? Who moves right. things around in an active crime scene? Nobody should. So apparently at approximately 6.45 p.m., an individual saw the driver of a red truck throw Deidre's bicycle into the ditch for some reason. What? A third brother. Yep. A third brother of the, of the suspects was driving a red truck that evening. And why aren't these people being investigated, you may ask? Well, it is rumored that a former sheriff, I'm not going to say the name, at the time shared a personal friendship with the eyewitness and his family and still does to this day. Um, that, so... I may or may not have said his name on a previous episode. <laughs> may or may have not. <laughs> Who's to say? <laughs> so Tom Reichert, who was the main investigator in Deidre's case and who is now the Wood County Sheriff, also associates personally with the main suspects in this case. And I'm just going to end the theory on that note. Um, yeah. Kelly Cornelius, Deidre's cousin, um, who they were only three months apart, has been a true champion for Deidre. She has worked for years on trying to find answers by gaining support from the community. Uh, she runs the, fam the Facebook page Justice for Deidre and a website, which is in the show notes, both dedicated to her cousin's case. Kelly stated several people Stated, several people out there know what happened to my cousin. We hope by keeping the pressure on them, they'll come forward, end quote. She and Deidre grew up together, so Kelly took on this role with pride and conviction. She also stated, we were more like sisters and cousins. Her death devastated me. It devastated our whole family, end quote. So, Deidre's case changed hands multiple times before it landed on the desk of newly elected Sheriff Sean Becker in 2018. Let me remind you all that Deidre got hit by the car in 1995. So this has been a long, long time. Her 
Family has remained hopeful through the years. Deidre's mother stated, we're going, we're hoping fresh eyes on the investigation will lead to a break in the case. So far, we're impressed with the dedication this team has put into this, and we can't thank them enough. We're finally getting somewhere, end quote. With Sheriff Becker now on the case, he has stated that he is confident he would be able to solve the case for her family. He stated, quote, we've had new leads in the case as recently as a few months ago. At this point, we don't have new information or significant updates to share, but we haven't given up, end quote. Around the same time, Investigator Sergeant, Sergeant Scott Goldberg with the Wood County Sheriff's Office was assigned the case, and he has a special connection to it. Sergeant Goldberg stated, quote, it's personal for me, and I'm very passionate about this case because I knew Dietrich growing up, and I think that passion is what pushes me harder to find what happened to her, end quote. Ironically, Sergeant Goldberg grew up with Deidre, and they were both in 4-H. He was a little older than Deidre and graduated high school with her brother, Brandon. Sergeant Goldberg also stated, quote, this tra tragedy forever changed her family's lives, our lives, the lives of the community. I just can't believe I'm 20, I'm here 26 years later working on a case that I thought would have already been solved, end quote. That's so crazy how the answers can be right there and people can just ignore it for their own whatever reasons they have going on. Protection, you know, protection of people that you're affiliated with is kind of what I've read on this case, like the overall feel of what I've gathered. Because um, if you like when you have this whole little like web of lies and crimes and you pull one string and all of a sudden all of your dirt gets exposed. Right, right. Since this case was committed in 1995, investigators realized they're up against the lack of technology and the time and time as statute of limitations is in effect. Um, I thought it was strange that there were any statute of limitations, as in my mind, I thought it would have been ruled like a felony murder or just mm -hmm. murder charges because they don't yeah. have limitations. Sheriff Becker explained that Deidre's death was ruled as a hit and run death, which has statute of limitations. That means if someone was going to be charged with the crime, it had to have been done prior to 2001. But I feel like it can't just be a hit and run. Like he deliberately kept this a secret. You, mm -hmm. Nobody has come forward later and said, I fucked up. I did this. And I'm sure there has been a mountain of covering up that... Mm -hmm isn't right this little girl lost her life it is murder right prior to they could have done a john doe investigation to have the charges filed we're gonna get into that so prior to okay. 2001 djray's family was promised a john doe investigation by the former district attorney greg potter but that never happened and he has been questioned on why 
and when that's going to happen. And he just responds that he has no comment. And he then said, he became a judge. Mm-hmm. Wow. I did not know that. He said, basically, the only way this case could be tried in court is if authorities had enough evidence to charge someone with vehicular homicide. Uh, Sergeant Goldberg stated, my biggest achievement would be solving this case. More importantly, this achievement would be solving it for Deidre, for her family. It's what they deserve, end quote. Two years after Deidre's death, her mother gave birth to a baby girl, Adrian Deidre, named for the sister she never knew. That like choked me up for a second. Oof. Um, for a short time, Brenda said they focused on the new baby in an attempt to move forward, but it wasn't long before they continued their work on getting justice for Deidre. Years passed and the children of the Week family moved on to college and had careers in their own families. And Adrian really embodied her deceased sister as far as features and spirit. They both had energetic personalities and is pursuing the National Guard and studying to be a welder. So just a bad, bad B. <laughs> um, Currently, the week's household is filled with laughter again, laughter from the grandchildren who come over to visit the farm. There are different animals now, but plenty of dogs and cats and chickens to play with. And guess what? DJ's beloved pony Cheyenne is still happily living on the farm and is now 29 years old. Oh, wow. <laughs> I didn't know um, ponies live that long. Me either. That's, that's really awesome. Um, DJ's mother stated, I feel like her pony keeps part of DJ's spirit here. It's what keeps me going. I see her when I look at her pony and I see when I look at our youngest daughter's face, I see when I'm in her memorial garden and it's a place I go to find peace, end quote. She also stated DJ's uh Deidre filled our lives with sunshine for 11 and a half years. That's something we're thankful for. And I don't know when we'll see justice for our girl, but I believe it will happen someday. Um, some say that Deidre's right to a proper investigation has been tainted and interfered with for over 19 years and that the Wood County corruption and Wild West type of feel has prevented this case to fully come to a close. Deidre's family and the investigators, even with being in a better place emotionally, still want and need answers and frankly deserve answers. So anyone with information about Deidre's case should contact the Wood County Sheriff's Department at 715 421-8700. There is a $25,000 reward for information that leads to an arrest in her case. That is the story of Deidre Week. Great job. Thank you. You're welcome. That was very sad that people care more about their own careers and egos than solving the murder of a child. Of a child. Yeah. In case people wonder how corrupt it really is. 
this, this is a child. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. My story is not going to get any lighter. So. Okay. I'm strapped in. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Today I'm going to tell the story of the disappearance of Timothy Pitson. So I do have a trigger warning for suicide on this story. If you guys aren't comfortable with that, you probably don't want to listen. And my sources today are thecharlieproject.org. On May 11th of 2011, the mom, Amy, picked Timothy up from his kindergarten class at Green Man Elementary School unexpectedly. She said that they had an unspecified family emergency and she needed to pick her son up. So she went and grabbed him. Okay. After, after checking him out of school, she drove to an auto repair shop and dropped off her blue 2004 Ford Expedition at about 10 a.m. One of the employees at the repair shop drove Amy and Timothy to the Brookfield Zoo. And then at 3 p.m., she came back to get her repaired vehicle. And then her and Timothy drove to the Key Lime Cove Resort in Gurney, Illinois. And they spent the night there. So it seemed like she just wanted to, you know, have a day with her son. Like, I'm going to take you out of school. We're going to go have some fun. Mm -hmm. However, she has a husband at home, father of the child, that is mm -hmm. unaware of any of this going on. Uh-oh. That's not good. Yeah. No. So James gets home from work and goes to pick up Timothy from school because he's supposed to be picking him up and finds out that Amy had already picked him up. Oh, no. Okay. And he's trying to call her cell phone. She's not answering. She, they're not at home. So James immediately reports them missing. Mm-hmm. Nobody's hearing from them. She's not answering the phone. He doesn't know what's going on. Eventually, Amy called her brother-in-law, James's brother, and told him that her and Timothy were just fine, that they just needed some time alone. She said, Tim is my son, and I can do what I want with him. And Timothy's uncle said he could hear him playing in the background on the call and that everything sounded like it was okay. And she said, we'll be home in a day or two. So basically, she's just like, I need a break. I want some time alone with my son. We're going to go have some fun. I'll be back, you know, tomorrow, the next day. Something like that. So. Then on May 12th, Amy and Timothy drove to the Kalahari Resort in Wisconsin Dells, Wisconsin. And that following morning at 10 a.m., security camera footage showed them waiting in line to check out. At 1.30 p.m., Amy made several cell phone calls to her loved ones to say that her and Timothy were fine. They weren't in any trouble. Timothy could again be heard in the background, sounding perfectly normal. The only complaint that he had was that he was hungry, which if you have kids, you know, this is like a never-ending thing. Especially if you're on the phone, your kid is going to be hungry. <laughs> Even if you just fed them, as soon as you get on the phone, they'll be like, Mom, I'm hungry. I need a snack. Why didn't you feed me? 
<laughs> and you're like, I do feed you. Stop saying that. <laughs> yeah, or or kids. Some people's kids will be like in this store, like, do you think I can eat today? <laughs> kids are evil. <laughs> but this would be the last time that anyone heard from the child that we know of. Okay. So at 7.25 p.m., Amy was sighted at a family dollar store in Winnebago, Illinois, where she went and purchased stationery, and at this time, she was alone. She went to the nearby Sullivan Foods at 8 p.m., then she checked into the Rockford Inn in Rockford, Illinois, somewhere around 11.15 to 11.30. And sometime during the night or early the next morning, she took her own life by slashing her wrists and neck and overdosing on antihistamines. Oh my God, I did not see that coming at all. No. And she was 43 years old at the time. The inn's employees found her body at 12.30 p.m. the next day on May 14th. Wow. Amy left a note and she put two letters in the mail, one to her mother and one to a friend saying that Timothy was fine and with people that cared about him, but she did not name who these people were. Oh, one no. of her notes said no one would ever find him. Oh, God. And her cell phone was missing. Other items were also missing, including Timothy's Spider-Man backpack, his toys and clothes, the clothes that Amy was wearing when she checked out of the Kalahari Resort, a tube of toothpaste, and an iPass transponder. Authorities initially believed that Amy had given Timothy to other people to care for because um, his car seat wasn't in the car. But then they found out that the car seat was at his grandmother's house and she had had it since a week before he disappeared. So she never had the car seat with her. Oh. So as the days passed, the police started to get worried that, like, was he really safe somewhere? Then they examined her SUV and they found a concerning amount of blood in the back seat. But then they couldn't tell how long the stains had been there. And then one of his relatives said he had gotten a bloody nose in the vehicle about 12 to 18 months before his disappearance. And that's another thing with kids. They don't really care. They'll just get blood everywhere because they're kids and they probably panic. Right. <laughs> And the knife that Amy used to kill herself only had her blood on it. So there was nothing like the blood was just his blood was only on the seat. So it could have been from an innocent purpose. We don't know. Or an innocent source. Right. Amy's SUV was very dirty when it was found. It had soil, tall grass, and weeds stuck to it. And they did do forensic testing on the plants and the dirt on the vehicle like they do on CSI to try to figure out where the vehicle had been to try to find Timothy. And they determined that it had to have been somewhere that had... Yeah, they said it was somewhere that had Queensland lace, black mustard plants. It would have been nearly treeless except for maybe some oak or birch trees in the general area, but not directly where the car had been. And a possibility that there's a pond or a stream close by the area. There was no indication wow. that 
it was like that the place had been used for a lawn or growing crops. Like it wasn't a cultivated area. It was like a wild area. I don't, I don't, it's amazing that they could figure all this stuff out from some plants and some dirt. I know. I'm totally amazed. I'm like, wow. I didn't know we did this in real life. Yeah. <laughs> so the investigators think the meadow is probably in Lee County or Whiteside County in Northwestern Illinois. But they're also considering Carroll, Ogle, Stevenson, and Winnebago counties. And they believe Amy may have been planning Timothy's disappearance for months before this happened. In February and March of 2011, she had taken two unexplained trips to the area that he would later disappear from. She had opened an email account under her maiden name in 2007 and kept it a secret from her husband, but the account didn't contain anything that helped them with the investigation. James would state that he was like, so shocked by his wife's suicide and his son's disappearance and that he really had no idea where his son could be. I can't imagine like you just going about your life. You go to pick your kid up and he's gone. And then your wife is like, well, basically, fuck you. I can take my kid and do what I want. And you can see him when we get back. And then she just dies and you don't know where he is. What I don't, I can't wrap my head around is the fact that there is a more than capable, loving other parents involved and that she didn't think to leave him with the father. And yeah, like if you're going to commit suicide, why, why, why do that to your kid when like it doesn't involve your kid? Right. I also don't like people committing suicide, like, at hotels and then traumatizing these innocent people either. We don't like people committing suicide at all, but... We don't talk about that enough, but people that do that, or, like, when people drive into oncoming traffic to to purposely kill themselves, like, how horrible must it be for the other person not to be able to do anything about it, have to also get injured... And then also know that they were basically in a, you know, basically a suicide. Yeah. Yeah, it's all terrible. So I don't know. It seems very weird to me, too, that she wouldn't have just left him with his dad. Even if she just wanted to spend the last two days with him by herself. Like, I just want to spend two days with my son by myself. And then drop him back off. Yeah. Totally. It's very strange. Unless there's like something that we don't know that she was like, he's not suitable to take care of him. But I I don't see any, there's been any reports of that. And we don't really know what her thought process was because she didn't tell us. I feel like she should have given us more explanation. Yeah, absolutely. So... James said, James and Amy's mother both stated that Amy loved Timothy deeply and they don't believe that there's any way that she harmed him. Like they fully believe that he is alive and well somewhere. 
They said she would sometimes leave home for a few hours when she was upset, but she had never taken him with her before when she did that, which leaving for a few hours is not a big deal. If you're stressed out with your kids and you need to go somewhere, go. Yeah. Yeah. Especially if you have another person that can watch them go, get your little break, take a break, do what you need to do, come back and be a good parent. Yes. Yes. Claps to that. So there's definitely been days I'm like, these, I love my kids to death. My kids are my whole world. But some days are like, if I spend five more minutes, especially <laughs> like during COVID when I was homeschooling, if I spend five more minutes with you guys, I'm going to lose my shit. I'm going yeah. for a walk. I will see you later. <laughs> yeah. And like for people that feel guilty for having that feeling, it's a universal feeling. So I've been told I'm not a parent but it's a universal feeling. You shouldn't feel guilty for, I know that that's, you know, easier said than done, but yeah, I mean, you're, you're, you're a person too. You would have your own limits too. And that's, there's nothing wrong with that. No, no matter how much you love anyone, a friend, a significant other, your child, even your pets, sometimes you just need to be alone. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, definitely nothing wrong with that. Um, it also came to light that the couple had almost divorced in 2008 because James had found out that Amy was secretly in contact with one of her three ex-husbands. And oh, they, wow. were, they were making plans to meet while James was out of town. Ooh, that is oh. not not good. Amy had some secrets. Yeah. Wow. But James was like, we can work it out, but you cannot contact your ex anymore. Or I will file for divorce and I will file for full custody of our son. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm sure she didn't like that part of it. Mm -hmm. She, of course, did decide to stay in the marriage, but their relationship was still troubled and again like if you have these issues going on and you're not getting any help things don't change people just expect time to magically change your life it doesn't no yeah yeah I definitely agree with that as well like you you're more than capable of sculpting your life and mm-hmm. you should just leave it up to time because it doesn't work that way. I mean, time may heal like things that you have gone through, but it won't just alter your life. No, not at all. And then adding on top of it, Amy had suffered from depression. Um, she had previously tried to take her own life once before she met James and once before, like shortly after they started dating. So I'm not sure where the shock was because she clearly was going through these problems. Right. People downplay suicide attempts a lot too. And if people actually try to commit suicide, people need to take that seriously. Absolutely. It's not just an attention thing. And even if it is an attention thing, that person is going through a whole lot to show you that they need help like Mm -hmm. they're about to end their lives and Mm -hmm. that is the hardest 
cry for help if there is any, you know, like that is yeah. just the time to be like, okay, we're doing something. We're going to help you. We're going to help you get mental health, you know, health yeah. treatment or whatever. That is the fucking time. Yeah. And don't, and I see a lot of people, maybe I'm speaking from personal experience, but people blame it on the people around the people. Like my ex tried to commit suicide and everyone was like, well, it's because you guys are having relationship problems and we were young. And I was like, no, it's because he has mental health issues and nobody wanted to believe me. And when he ultimately did commit suicide, everyone was shocked. And I'm like, I'm not shocked. I've been telling you for 15 years, Mm -hmm. he has mental health issues. Mm -hmm. There's been cry after cry after cry for help. And you blame it on everybody around. Right. Blaming it on the actual problem. Right. There's a chemical imbalance and trauma and issues that need to be worked out. So it's not something you can just be like, oh, they'll be fine. Didn't succeed. It'll be all right. Like, it doesn't work like that. That just hit like a really buried memory for me. I once told, I was in a group of friends that, were like just trash so yeah I um I knew this girl from middle school and she ended up dating a guy that was in this trash group and I knew that he was cheating on her and I had no loyalty to this guy and I know this girl since middle school and I told her about it I'm like I've seen him with her and I've seen them do this and I know for a fact that they've been doing that in this and I, I told yeah. her and then he attempted to commit suicide and the whole group turned on me and said it was because of me. And I literally was like, um, excuse me. I did what any normal person would do and tell their friend that they're getting cheated on so that they don't look like a jackass, you know, and I'm not going to be right. one of those people that know about it and not say anything like that's been done to me and it's a horrible feeling. Right. And nobody can cause somebody to want to commit suicide. Like that's not, and it's never one action. It's never one person. It's something going on internally with them. And then like maybe one, one final trigger pushes them over the edge, but we all get triggered a thousand times a day and we don't resort to that. True. Yeah. So I, I at first took it very hard because I'm like, well, I can't believe that that person would do that because of an action that I did. But over the years, I was like, that whole group is so fucked up. And for people to actually blame somebody else for that, I am so glad that they're just that that's not like the normal type of person because. Right. That's just not okay to blame somebody else for that. No, that's a horrible feeling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I can definitely relate. And I was a teenager too. And all was, these people yeah. saying that were adults. That should have been helping us. Yeah, no. That is so yeah. awful. Yeah. People, anyway. people, <laughs> people need to get their shit together. Yes. <laughs> okay. And so... They also go on to add that 
James and Amy had had a big fight the morning that Amy checked her son out of school. So to me, it kind of sounds like she was just panicking. Like she probably thought she was going to lose her son. So she's like, I'm just going to spend a little bit of time with him. And then probably a little fuck you to James too. Like, well, you said you're going to take him from me. Now I'm taking him from you. Right. And it's just sad for the whole family and for him because I'm like, well, he was in kindergarten. Does he remember that he has this whole family? Oh, my God. And they're all still looking for him. They've all been very cooperative. Um, All of the child's family members have been cooperative. And none of them have been named as a suspect. So nobody can figure out where he could be. Um, Amy's cell phone, which was missing at the time of her death, did turn up on the roadside of Route 78 in the autumn of 2013. The investigators went back to conduct a search of the area, but they didn't find anything in the area or anything in the phone. And then, of course, we got to have these little assholes that come forward pretending to be the missing person because why the fuck not? So this guy came forward and said that he was Timothy and he had been being sex trafficked for years and it got a whole bunch of media attention and it turned out to not be true. And his name was Brian Michael Rinney and he was charged. They charged him and jailed him for identity theft and lying to federal investigators. So he eventually reached a plea deal for aggravated identity identity theft and did two years in prison so wow. don't fuck around and pretend to be a missing person because you will go to jail it's not even worth it and was he was he even being sex trafficked or was he just, he just made everything up made up everything he was just a common criminal in and out of jail i hate that oh god okay yeah So I'll conclude it with just a little description of Timothy from his family. They describe him as very active, outgoing, a natural leader who is at ease with adults and other children. He enjoyed going to the zoo, using the playground equipment like swings in the sandbox. He liked to go bike riding and go-kart riding, and he collected matchbox cars. He was learning how to swim at the time of his disappearance, and his favorite places to eat were Chuck E. Cheese. He loved pizza, yogurt, and anything from McDonald's. (laughs) So uh, police are still investigating. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. What a... uh, I was like, this is another crazy story. Like, what? Yeah. Yeah. I can't imagine if he is out there what he was thinking as a child just being given away um that is just brutal and that poor father yeah and he's probably somewhere right in the area like in wisconsin somewhere right yeah uh well all we can do is hope that he grew up in a in a great family yeah um because (laughs) we can only I don't know, wish him well as far as that. Right. And I hope that someday um, he can be reunited with his family and know that they loved him the whole time. Yeah. And even though all this stuff happened with his mom, she clearly loved him too. 
Yes, I totally agree. Loved him, loved him in her own way, but did love him. Yeah, definitely. Well, great job. Um, Thank you. Both of our stories this week were kid related. Um, yeah, heart wrenching kid stories, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, we love you. We do. Bye. Bye All the Sins of Wisconsin was written, recorded, edited, and produced by Fallon and Mims. Thank you so much to all of our listeners, supporters, friends, and family that continually allow us to do what we love. If you love our show as much as we love you, please give us a glowing rating and review. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram to see what we are up to and email us your sinner tales at allthesinsofwi at gmail.com. Episodes of All the Sins of Wisconsin are available for free wherever you listen to podcasts. And don't Don't forget, forget, we we love you. you.